Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Amen. Let me just take an informal poll. How many of you guys have you guys have a current right now? You have a project around your house. It's a fixer-upper project. Let me just see your hands. All right. How, <laughs> how many of you guys would be so bold and brave to just admit that your wife put you up to it? How many of you guys are just going to own that right there? All right. How many of you guys would just admit that maybe you said a few more than a G-rated word sometime during the process? Okay. All right. Thank you for your honesty. The Lord appreciates that. And all right. Today we're going to be looking at how to fix up our life in different ways throughout this series. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 through 4 says this, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. We have two things in there. We've got wisdom, we've got knowledge. Now we've got our kids going back to school and so with kids going back to school our hope is that they would know some things. Isn't that right? We hope that they're going to fill their little brains with precious little treasures of knowledge. Now, when I was in school, I remember very distinctly coming up upon a test. How many of you guys remember this? I would memorize as much as I could and then just try to spit it all out at the test, you know, and it'd be out. And even though I knew that in the moment, there's a difference between knowing something and learning something. And so many times we try to memorize things in our life. There's a difference in our spiritual life between knowing something and have a new aspect to actually learning some of these things. And so that's what I want to talk about because I think a lot of us, we, we get in our relationship with God with things like this. God, if I could just know what the next step is. God, if I could just know what your will is. God, if I could just know how to have a, a better marriage. God, if I could just know how to be a better parent. God, if I could just know who I'm supposed to marry, what job I'm supposed to take. How many of you guys have been there before? And we think, if I could just know. Now, here's the thing about knowledge. Knowledge is good, but knowledge isn't enough. Knowledge is power, yes. But knowledge, we have to have more than just knowledge because knowing what is right does not automatically mean you will do what is right. Am I talking to anybody today? How many times have you known you knew what was right, but then you didn't do what was right? And so, so many times in our relationship with God, we're so focused on the knowing, and knowing is part of it, but there's a whole new element that we need to get in our lives if we want to live successfully. Because you can know just enough to be dangerous. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember growing up as a kid working construction. You heard me right. As a kid working construction, because my dad owned a construction business, and even as kids, we were out there working. So we knew how to climb a ladder. We knew how to hammer boards together. We knew how to put a house together. But just because you know how to do something doesn't mean you're going to always do it right. And so there were times when we needed to reach things that, that were out in the middle of nowhere. We should have got scaffolding, but we were too cheap. And I say we loosely, meaning my father was too cheap <laughs> to get scaffolding. And so he come up with this ingenious plan that we'll get three or four guys to hold a ladder straight up and down in the middle of the air and let one of the kids climb up it and go and nail something high enough that we can't reach. Now, how many of you guys know that's knowing enough to be dangerous? Evidently, this is passed down from generation to generation because me and my brother Jake over here, we were on a, a roof one time. It was a three-story house, very steep roof, and, and we needed to nail something at the bottom of the, of the roof there, and we didn't have a ladder big enough. And so I'm just going to blame this one on Jake that this was his idea. But uh, he, he came up with this idea. Let's take an air compressor hose. How many of you guys know what one of those are? And he wrapped it around his body and tied the air compressor hose and decided to go face first, sliding down the roof to, so he could reach the bottom of the roof. And so there I am on the other side, you know, like we're some mountaineering team or something. 
You can know enough to be dangerous. Just because you know something doesn't mean you're going to do the right thing with it. And so knowledge by itself isn't worth much without the wisdom that needs to come with it. I think sometimes when we look at the book of Proverbs and we look at wisdom, sometimes we can just kind of dismiss them as like little fortune cookies from God, you know? So I picked some of my favorite fortune cookies. Uh, First one is is this, you're not illiterate. (laughs) Some of you guys, if it takes a while to get that, maybe you are, I don't know. Uh, Next, another one of my favorites, stop procrastinating starting tomorrow. That's a good one. Got another one here. You will be hungry again in one hour. I like that one. That's like predicting your future. And then lucky numbers. That's always good too. Uh, The next one, the waiter coughed on your food. That would be good to know, wouldn't it? That would be good to know. All right, next one. Help, I'm being held prisoner in a Chinese bakery. And then this this last one's my favorite. Don't eat any Chinese food today or you'll be very sick. So sometimes we just treat them as just little fortune cookies from God. But how many of you guys know that God's ways are way better than the worldly ways? God's ways are, and so we need to let them have some weight in our life, God's wisdom. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge God's way. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge God's way. So you can get all the facts about a situation and still not have wisdom. Has anybody ever met somebody that was extremely knowledgeable and not wise? Yes, we all have. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Let me just illustrate this even further. I know a guy recently who uh, took a concealed carry class and he had to learn all about, you know, how to, how to operate a gun and the four safety rules of gun. And you can learn a lot about a gun, can't you? You can learn how to clean a gun, how to take apart a gun, how to shoot a gun. You can do all these things. That's knowledge. Wisdom, the difference is wisdom is knowing when to pull the gun out of the holster and when to keep it in there, right? Let me give you another example for you guys. Have you guys have ever come home before and, and you just come home and you can just sense the atmosphere, something's not right, right? And, and all of a sudden you notice that it sure looks like my wife is upset. How many of you guys have been there before? You could tell by the, by the, the, the look of the, the place, you could tell by, by the atmosphere, you could tell by the body language, you could tell by the twitching on her face. Uh, you could just tell a lot. And so you've got all these knowledge, all these facts, and then you go and you ask the inevitable question, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. So what do you do when you have all the facts? What would wisdom do in that situation? Wisdom says, run, run, throw chocolate on the way out. Just go, just go. That's what wisdom says. There's a difference. Let me be very practical though. Okay. Knowledge is memorizing scripture. You know scripture. There's a lot of people who know scripture. Wisdom is learning how to take scripture and apply it to your life. And so that's what we want to have today. We want to have wisdom, not just knowledge about God, not just, wi- not just knowledge about the Bible. We want to have wisdom on how to do that. So how do we get wisdom? Because in your life, you don't just need to know things. You need to learn how to apply what you know. The first thing is found in this, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 through 11. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'll just stop there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, some of you might be pushing back on this a little bit. Like the fear of the Lord, isn't that like an Old Testament thing? The fear, everybody's scared and there's lightning and mountains and, you know, thunders and all this stuff. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. Talking about the church, and it says this. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, was being built up. And then here it is. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So here we find the fear of the Lord in the New Testament. 
The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. I think a lot of people think the fear of the Lord means I'm afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. You see, if you're afraid of God, in the Old Testament, when they were afraid of God, they ran away from God. And they said, Moses, you talk to God. We're scared. The, the fear, if you're afraid of God, you'll shrink back. If you have the fear of the Lord, you'll draw near. There's a big difference. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 through 29. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Here it is. These two words really encapsulate it. With reverence and awe. Reverence and awe of God because our God is a consuming fire. Let me give you an example that I've shared before. What I do before most every service at some point during the week or on the weekend is I'll come through and I'll put my hand on each one of these chairs that you're seated in. And I'll pray over these chairs. And I'll pray for God that every person that sits in these chairs, each one of our services, Lord, that they would feel your power, that they would feel your presence, that they wouldn't just come in and be enamored by how good we did things or be distracted by how bad we did things, but Lord, that they would encounter you because I know that you are an awful God. And if they could just encounter your presence, that's be everything that we need. It doesn't matter how good of words I use or how good of songs we sing. What we need is your presence. And I'll go through and I'll touch every single one of these chairs and pray over them. And then I'll come up to the stage and I'll pray over each one of these areas where these uh, musicians play and and I'll pray and I'll say, God, just let your power and your presence be here. And then I'll come and I'll lay my hands on this pulpit and I'll, I'll take hold of this pulpit and I'll say, God, I want you to just to keep this pulpit pure. Let the words that come from here, Lord, help me to have the discernment to filter them out to, so that it's your words and not my words. You see, that's a holy fear of God, of saying, God, I believe your ways are above my ways. Lord, we need you more than anything else. That's the fear of the Lord. You see, sometimes I think we can be too formal approaching God, can't we? We have all these rituals and all these things. But at the same time, you can sometimes be too casual approaching God because we're talking about the almighty God here. We're talking about the God of the universe. And you might say, well, talking about the fear of the Lord really pushes you back away from the love of God. No, it doesn't, not for me. When I understand how awesome God is, that he's the almighty God, and yet he would choose to come and to wipe away my sin and choose to draw near to me, man, I'd start to draw near to God. It doesn't take away from the love of God. I appreciate it that much more. It doesn't take away from the grace of God. I just appreciate it that much more. It causes me to lean in and to draw close. And so the fear of God, when it comes to wisdom, it says it's the beginning of wisdom. When you have a healthy fear of God, it anchors you to God's truth and God's ways instead of the world's ways. When you start to understand how holy God is, it anchors you to God's truth. See, the Bible talks about a man who went to build a house. And he went and, and he wanted to find a great place to build his house. And he found this nice rock, this nice solid foundation. He built his house there on the rock. And then the storms came and the winds blew and, and the floods came and his house stood. And then there was another guy who wanted a really good view of the beach. And he decided he was gonna wake up every morning and look out at the beach and he found a nice spot on the sand and he, he built his house right there on the sand. But the difference was when the rains came and the storms blew and the, the floods came that his house fell down flat and great was his fall. And, uh, and Jesus says there, was, there, there were two things that, that were contributing to this. One, they both heard the truth of Jesus. One of them though applied the truth and one of them did not. And he said the one that did not, didn't, his house fell down flat. And so we've got to, uh, if we want to stand, we've got to understand some things about truth. You see, some people say that truth is subjective. That your perception determines your reality. 
that your experience defines what truth is. And how many of you guys have heard that before in this culture, that whatever you believe is to be true, that that is truth? Some people will say that truth is relative, that it really depends on situation and culture. So in one culture, this may be truth, but if you were to apply this to a whole different culture, it may not be truth for them. Or in one family, this may be true, but in this other family, it all depends on how you grew up. It all depends on what situation and what place you live in. Or it might be like this. You know, in one time, this was true in history. But now that truth, we have evolved as a culture, and no longer does that apply because truth is relative. Now, here's how it applies to us. This is what the world's doing today. At one time, Scripture was true. But we've evolved as a culture now, and so now Scripture, what once was true, now truth is relative, so now it doesn't quite apply. So we have, a, we have a choice to make, don't we? So when the government changes its mind and says that, well, this is what marriage is now, or this is how you're to live your life now because of subjective and relative truth, do we change with that or are we anchored on the rock? You see, there's another category called absolute truth where there are certain moral laws that God has put into the universe. That These moral laws are there whether you believe them or not. They are there if you, you don't even have to believe them, but they're still enacted. They're still there. And they are there uh, if, I mean, they're always right. And so sometimes we've got to decide where are we getting our truth from. And here's the trick for us as believers, because we live in a culture that talks a lot about subjective truth and relative truth. And if we're not careful, over time, our truth starts to get eroded by culture. And pretty soon we find ourselves that what once we, we thought was was had an absolute line. No longer does it have an absolute line in our life. You see, today, uh, a lot of people who are kind of thinking this way sociologically and evolutionary, and they'll say that, it, you know, culture evolves and truth evolves. They would say it's like this, that, you know, for me, I love football. How many of you guys love football? I love football. But for me, I, I hate cantaloupe. I don't know why I hate cantaloupe. It's like the fruit of hell. I don't know. It's just, I don't know what you guys like about it. But if it touches anything in my life, I've got de- I mean, to detox that place. I mean, it's just horrible. And so similarly, people with this mindset of relative truth would say, here's the end game. Let me just tell you the end game. They wouldn't say this now, but here's the end game. I like murder, but I don't like rape and child abuse. And you, you say, well, Sean, that's an extreme. I, I'm telling you, if you play relative subjective truth to its extreme, that's the case. Why is that? Because you say, well, that's not where we're at now. We would never do that. Let me tell you, there are cultures on this planet where you eat food, and then there are cultures on this planet where you are the food, right? How is that? How can they both exist? It's because somewhere along the way, people have adopted different truths, But it can't be denied. Every single one of us know this down deep in our heart that murder is always wrong. We know that deep in our heart. No one had to tell us that. We just know that down deep in our heart. We know that torturing people is not right. We know that certain things is is not right. How do we know this? Because God built them into our DNA. And we can choose to apply that truth and accept that truth, or we can choose to go with culture. Now, here's what usually happens, and here's what's happening a lot today. The reason why we don't hang on to absolute truth is because too many people are living with a fear of man instead of the fear of God. So we're so afraid to stand up for what's right because of the pushback from culture, from the pushback of our friends. And so what happens is we end up being so afraid to offend people that we offend God. 
And we've got to break free from that. We've got to break free and decide. And that's what, when we have a holy fear of God, it holds it up to us to be able to choose God's way over man's ways. Now, Solomon was a guy in the Bible that he desired wisdom, God's ways, over the world's ways. And we see this play out when God comes to him and says, ask me anything you want. How many of you guys would like God to do that for you? Here it is in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. So Solomon was in a position where he could ask God for anything and God would give it to him. And so that would be a great place to be in. And so Solomon, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, he says, here's his request. Give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people for whom can, who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. I'm looking at that, and most of us would say, he blew it. <laughs> he blew it. He had this chance to ask God for anything. He could ask for money. He could ask for influence. He could ask for uh, anything he wanted. And he blew it. He could ask for three more wishes. <laughs> he blew it. But here's where the story concludes in 2 Chronicles 1, verse 11. It says, God answered Solomon, and he says, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for honor, you didn't ask for the life of those who hate you, you you've not asked for long life even, but you asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge will be granted to you, but I'll also give you all the things you didn't ask for. And so I look at it like this way. Imagine if we had like three games, like you're on a game show, you got three doors, and you, you got good things behind the doors, right? You want what's behind the doors. And, and so if we're looking at there, here's what we do with God. We say, God, I want what's behind the door. And God says, I'm not going to give you what's behind the door. And we get frustrated with God that he doesn't always give us what's behind the door. Here's what he did for Solomon. He said, I'm not going to give you all those other things, but here, here's what I will do. I will give you the key to unlock the door. Wisdom is the key that unlocks the door to the good things that God wants for us. Wisdom is the key. I believe the reason Solomon got all those other things was not because God just gave them to him automatically. It's because he asked for wisdom, and by wisdom, he could gain all of those things automatically. And so wisdom is the key that unlocks the door to everything God has. But if we're just honest, can we just be honest? You're in church. Just be honest for just a second. Many times we don't want what we need. Many times we just end up wanting what we want. If we just said, I mean, we just really, you know, God, I, I know there's some things I need, but I just want what I want. We get something in our heart that we want what we want. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you want, but he gives you what you need. Because sometimes you don't even know what you want or what you need, but you think you do. It reminds me of a, of a story I heard that there was a, a large city and a, a large new shopping place came into the city. And this was a husband shopping place so that single ladies could go to this place and find a husband. And so there was five levels to this shopping, new shopping center that went in, and they could go and shop. And the, the only rule to shopping at this place is once you go up a floor, one of the five floors, you can't go back down. And so these ladies were all getting together, like, all right, it's about time for us to get married. Let's go find a husband. And so they walk into the first floor, and, and a sign on the door of the first floor, it, it says, the men beyond this door have jobs and love kids. And these ladies are like, wow, this is pretty good. They've got jobs and they love kids. So they're saying, well, we could go through this door, but there's still four more floors. You know, maybe we should just take our chances. I know we go up, we can't come back down, but let's, let's take our chances and see what's on the next 
floor. And, and so these, guys, these ladies get together like, all right, let's go to the second floor. Let's see. So they go up to the second floor, and there's the sign on the door of the second floor says this. These guys have extremely high-paying jobs. They love kids, and they're good-looking. And they're like, this must be it. This must be our floor. I mean, they got jobs, high-paying jobs. They love kids, and they're good-looking. And so they're debating among themselves, you know, should we go? Should we risk it? Should we go another floor? I mean, this floor was better than the last floor, so maybe we ought to take our chances. And so they roll the dice, and they decide to take their chances. And so they go up to the third floor, and a sign on the third floor says this. These guys have high-paying jobs. They love kids. They're extremely good-looking and they love to do, they love to help around the house. And they're just like, oh my gosh, is it, can it get any better than this? I mean, can, we just might as well stop. And then one of them says, no, but listen, every floor has gotten better. You know, there's still two more floors. Maybe we should take our chances. And so they finally muster up the courage. They're like, all right, let's roll it out. Let's take chances. One more floor. Let's see what it's like. They get up to the fourth floor and the sign outside the door says, these guys, uh, they have jobs, extremely high paying jobs. They love kids. They're extremely good looking. They, they, they love to help around the house and they have a romantic streak. And they're like, yeah, this is it. This is, I mean, what else? What else is there? And, and so they, they kind of stop and kind of gather themselves. They're like, but every floor's gotten better. There's still one more floor. Let's go see what's up on the fifth floor. Remember, you can't come back down. So they decided they were going to take the chance and they went up on the, the fifth floor and there was a sign outside the door that says, this floor is entirely empty and exists only to prove that you can't please women. See, sometimes, I'm not knocking on you ladies, but sometimes, maybe it was, but sometimes we don't know what we want. And so sometimes God doesn't give us what we think we want, and wisdom is the key. Now, we fast forward to the end of Solomon's life. Solomon gets everything he thinks he wants. He's a king. He's the wisest person in all the land. He, he's written over a thousand and five, he's written a thousand and five songs. He has 200,000 people working for him. He's written over 3,000 proverbs. The queen of Sheba travels a thousand miles just to see what he's got going on. He's got everything going on. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see him writing the fruit of that, what he thought he wanted. And he says, it's all in vain. It's all worthless. It's all worthless. You see, two things happened to Solomon. One, since Solomon had so much wisdom he understood in the end that even when you get what you want, you may not really want it in the end without God's ways. And the second thing that happened to Solomon, the reason all of this happened, is because somewhere along the way, even though Solomon was a wise man and he had wisdom, he abandoned God's wisdom. The Bible talks about how he married foreign wives who were corrupting him in religion, and he abandoned the wisdom of God. So even if you know wisdom, even if you know the right thing, you still have to apply Wisdom, And I believe the fear of the Lord anchors us in God's wisdom. The second thing is this. We have to walk with wise people if we want to walk in wisdom. We have to get wise people around us. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors there is victory. There's safety in a multitude of counselors, the Bible says. And yet how many times do we surround ourselves with yes men and yes women who are always just telling us, you just do what you want. You just do what you feel. I mean, I could see it all over social media. You know, somebody do something and, and people will say things like, you go girl, or you're the man, or you just do it. Yeah, you deserve this. And I'm sitting there going, this is going to be a train wreck, you know? And yet the problem is we've surrounded ourselves with the culture around our life that we, too many times we surround ourselves with cheerleaders instead of coaches. 
And we got everybody just going, yeah, you're doing good. Just keep going. Yeah, just go. Just do what you want. Do what you deserve. And we abandon God's wisdom for our life by doing that. Because we don't have wise, godly people around us to tell us the word no. Is anybody here who has a blind spot? You see, you have one, you just don't know it. I have many blind spots in my life right now, but I can't see them because they're blind spots for me. So I need to surround myself with people who will tell me, hey, Sean, you got a blind spot there. You can't see it. I know you can't see it, but you got a blind spot. And if everybody in your life is telling you you're doing good, maybe you got a blind spot. Maybe you're not walking with wise people. Because here's what I know. When I get people in my life who walk in wisdom, they're going to challenge my thinking from time to time. And if you don't have somebody in your life who is getting, who's, who's getting in your face from time to time, who's challenging you from time to time, who's contrary to your way of thinking from time to time, you may not be walking with wise people. And this is what we do because we're afraid of conflict. We don't like to do this. We, we surround ourselves with all these type of people who just make us feel good instead of challenge us. There was a, years ago, I had a friend, and uh, he was living in a, a horrible part of town. And he was actually uh, supposedly a believer, living with an unbeliever, a woman. He's a guy living with, not married, just living with this woman. And uh, all the time around this house, they'd have keg parties and all sorts of things. And he'd participate in it. <laughs> and he came to me one day, and he was like, he was in trouble. He was needing money. He was, uh, you know, uh, getting ready to get kicked out or something. He was like, would, you know, hey, man, I, would you pray for me that I could just, you know, have enough money to whatever? And I'm like, you mean to pray for what? You mean to pray for you to have enough money to stay in this situation? And I said, how do you believe this is a godly, wise situation for you to be in? And he came up with some cop-out answer, Christian cliche thing of, well, maybe God wants me to share Jesus with him. To share Jesus with the lady at the cake party that you're participating in? Like, you got to have Jesus first, buddy. you got to have. And here's what I found. Most people are surrounding themselves, and we ask for prayer for instead of prayer if. Here's what I mean. We've already pre-decided what the answers are for our life, and when we ask somebody to pray, we're saying, would you pray for this to happen in my life? Instead of going to somebody who's a wise person in your life and say, would you pray if this is supposed to happen in my life? See, there's a big difference. And if you don't have some, if all you got is pray for people instead of pray if, then you got blind spots on and you don't have wise people in your life. If you don't have anybody ever challenging you, then, then you got a blind spot in your life. And I got, I got people in my life who will, t- will tell me some things and challenge me. And it's a healthy thing. You see, too many times we're asking for, we're asking God and we're asking people for confirmation instead of really having some answers in our life and walking in wisdom. Now, how does that play out in our life? If, you, if your marriage stinks, don't hang around people who have bad marriages. <laughs> find some people who have a good marriage that might rub off on you. If you find yourself complaining all the time, don't hang out with complainers. Find people who speak positive and it'll start to rub off on you. If you're just annoying... Then stop being annoying. Just stop being annoying. I don't have a Bible verse on that one, but just stop doing that. Just stop doing that. And, and, but surround yourself. And if you look around your life and everybody looks like you, you may not be walking with wise people. If you look around your life and everybody's got the same problem you've got, you may not have the right people in your life. Because you need to have a variety of people who are going to challenge your thinking, who are going to say, I need some people in my life who will tell me no. And I need some people in my life who will tell me yes to. 
I need somebody who's going to encourage me at the right time, not at every time. And too many of us have people encouraging us at every time that we don't even know what the right time is. And we get so encouraged by everybody that we think every decision we have must be right because everybody is telling us it's right. And we need some people to challenge us. And that's what the Bible talks about, walking with wise. Years ago, I, I had this dream to be in ministry and to do all these things. <clears throat> so I wanted to surround myself with people who were successful in ministry. And, and so I did. Eventually, I surrounded myself with people who had achieved a lot in ministry. And I remember one point, years ago, I was sitting in a room with three people uh, who were leaders in my life, who had been successful in ministry. And I just had this thought hit me all of a sudden. I had young kids at the time. I had this thought hit me. Every single one of these leaders who have these successful ministries, their kids turned their back on God while they were in ministry. And they're closest in my life right now in leadership. And so I removed myself from that situation. And now I've surrounded myself with people who are successful in ministry, and every one of their kids are following Jesus. And you look at my kids, they're following Jesus. You look at all the ministry leaders in this church, they're following Jesus. All the kids. Now, can one of them get... Uh, wild hair and, and go do something? Of course. But I'm, say, I'm saying that I'm taking my chances that if I start walking with wise people, that hopefully that's going to rub off on me a little bit. That's what the Bible says. So we've got to walk with wise. And then the third thing, I'll wrap up with this. It's so simple, but I think because it's so simple, many times we just think it doesn't have any power. But the Bible says it, and so we're going pra- to end the service today by practicing this last thing. And I'd like the worship team to come back up. And here it is. It's very simple. Ask for wisdom. If you're facing a situation, you're facing a, an uncertain future, you're facing a fork in the road, you're facing a relationship thing, you're face, here's what I know. You're going to need wisdom every day. We all do. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, it starts off, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, is there anybody here who lacks wisdom at some point in their life? That's, that's me every day, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, here's the answer. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I've shared this before, but some of the things that I do in my life, I'll have different confessions and different uh, prayers that I'll pray almost daily. And one of the things that I'm including that is this very scripture. And I'll say, God... Your word says that if anybody lacks wisdom, to ask and you'll give wisdom. And so today, I know I'm going to have many conversations with people today. I'm going to have to make many decisions, some big and some small. I'm going to have even interactions that I may not even know are significant. I may have a conversation with my kid that that I may not see as significant, but it could be like a rudder that turns the ship of their life. And so God, I know that I'm going to need your wisdom today. And your word says to ask. And so I'll just say, God, I ask for your wisdom. Your word also says that I need to not doubt about that. I need to act and and to understand that once I've asked, that you've given it to me. And so what I'll do is once I've asked God for wisdom, from that point on for the rest of the day, I'll assume that I have wisdom in every decision that I make. And I don't think about it anymore. I don't worry about it. I've already got people in my life. I've already asked God for wisdom, and from there on out, I act like I have wisdom in every decision that I've made, and I'm trusting God in that. You know what that is? That's walking by faith. And I've found that served me well time and time again. And so we're going to ask. Too many of us are too busy asking God for answers instead of asking God for wisdom, the key that unlocks it. Would you guys stand up? And we're just going to practice. We're going to close up by just asking. 
Again, this is a very simple thing, but just because it's simple doesn't mean it lacks power. Just because, I mean, it's the word of God and we have to choose, are we going to believe God and take him at his word? And so would you guys just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And we're just gonna ask God, if you need wisdom today, the Bible says you just gotta ask and God will give you wisdom. And so right there where you're at, just ask God. Just say, God, I need your wisdom today. I need your wisdom in my decisions. I need your wisdom in my life. I need your wisdom in my relationships. And so your word says that if we would just ask. And Lord, we ask you today, as faith people, we ask you today for your wisdom. And Lord, we trust your word is true. And we believe that we're going to be able to walk in your wisdom in godly ways. Lord, we thank you for that. And as faith people, we walk out of here assuming that from here on out, throughout this day, that you've given us wisdom by faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.